Hello and a warm welcome to GMI, Guitar and Music Institute podcast, episode one, Guitar Sight Reading, How and Why You Should Learn. My name is Jed Brocky, and in the episode that follows, I'm going to discuss why you should, as a guitarist, learn to sight read based on my 30 years of performance and teaching experience, and how to go about learning this vital skill. I'll also be bursting a few myths about sight reading on the guitar, so if you're looking to get your sight reading together, then listen on. If you're listening to this podcast on channels such as iTunes, I'd encourage you to check out this podcast on the GMI Guitar Music Institute website, as it includes additional material that backs up this episode. You can find it, find us at www.guitarandmusicinstitute.com. So, sight reading. Sight reading is something that lots of guitarists can't do, and one of the reasons they can't do it is that they think it's really hard. So, the first thing I just want to say about sight reading is, it is not difficult to sight read. I'm going to say that again. It is not difficult to sight read, but you do have to know how to go about it. The reason I can say that it's not difficult to sight read is if you know just one note on the guitar and you know how that note is notated in music and you can look at that note and you can play it, then you've just sight read something. Now, this is where the problems come in. It's when you have to sight read more than one note. So I would just want to start by saying there are two types of uh, reading really out there. There's the ability to read music, that is learn the notes on the guitar and how they relate to the notes of notated music. And there's the ability to sight read. So let's look at these two things. The ability to read music means you have to learn the chromatic scale fundamentally. You have to know each and every note on the guitar fretboard and you only have to learn up to fret 12 because the uh, from that point on it just repeats itself so fret 1 is the same as fret 13 on any of the strings so fret 2 is the same as 14 on any of the strings so there's a lot involved in, in learning that I do accept that you can learn the notes that you see uh, on the, the fretboard, and then you've got to relate them to notes that are notated down. Once you can do that, then you can go about actually building up a picture of the uh, melodies or the chords or the arrangements that you're trying to play. Now, the point is, that is reading music. But it's not the same as sight reading. So, what specific skills are needed to sight read? Well, sight reading builds on being able to read music. But there's an additional uh, thing you've got to add in here, uh, and an additional skill, which I call flow. It's the ability to look from left to right, and there are some techniques that I'm going to discuss later in this podcast, but it's the ability to look from left to right and let that flow of information as you see it appear, go through your eyeballs and into your brain and then that triggers you to do something on your instrument. Hopefully play the correct notes. Now, 
Before we go any further, I just wanted to um, talk about sight reading and why I think you should do it and give you some sort of real-world examples uh, on the benefits of reading music. Because there are many people out there who, guitar players, who don't read music and maybe in their secret place would like to be able to read, but for whatever reason, they can't actually, they don't maybe know how, they probably think it's too hard and and that's a common a common problem. People think reading music is hard. It's like the people who that this music notation system that's developed over hundreds of years. It's almost like it's been created to deliberately keep people away. It's like some secret code that's only for the few. This isn't the case. Music notation has developed and continued continues to develop, uh, and the whole idea of music notation as far as I'm concerned anyways, to make it as simple as possible for the person reading the music to be able to play it. So if someone says, oh, it's too hard to read music, uh, they need to think again. Because until you've actually started to learn to read music and then to sight read, you'll never know. But here are some reasons why I think you should learn to sight read. One of them's a kind of... uh, an odd one. I mean, it goes right back to my own childhood. Um, grandparents, they would, when they heard I wanted to, I was interested in music and wanted to play guitar. They maybe didn't know anything much about music or indeed the guitar, but what they all said separately was, "Well, make sure you learn to read music." So, the they understood that musicians, in their eyes. Musicians are people who can read music. It sounds kind of obvious, isn't it? I think being able to read music actually helps a musician uh, actually feel more musical. It's a skill that it's like being, you know, it's like saying you're a a writer, but you can't actually write or read <clears throat> those two things. Now I know in music you don't need to. I know quite a few professional musicians. They are amazing, amazing players. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And they can hardly read music. But they, in a sense, are the exception to the rule because if you are, you don't have to be wanting to become a professional to actually learn to read music. But if you can read music and you're offered work, if you if you can't play the parts, then they're going to look for someone else. So that, that kind of brings me into this whole area of, okay, learning to read music is great for feeling that you are musical and that you are a musician. And I think that's an important thing. But if you think of uh, sort of theatre companies, amateur, dramatics and professional, you know, what is the difference between those two? Now, obviously, the, some people will say, well, the professionals are much better at everything. And yet... Having said that, if you go and see some uh, amateur or semi-amateur productions, you may be blown away by the how good everything is, how how good the music sounds, how great the acting is. So what is the real difference then? If you can go and see amateur productions, which are amazing, and a fraction of the cost, and you can go and see professional that may be better in some ways, there may be more money thrown at it, 
maybe better scenery. <clears throat> I think the from a production point of view, that one of the big differences is the amount of time that it takes. So if you're in an amateur production, the people in the the band or the orchestra probably can't read that well. Or maybe they, they, some will be able to read well, but there'll be others who can't. And they're given the time and the understanding because they may be rehearsing a a show for three, four, five months. And they have the time to get the skills together. Now, in a professional situation, the band might be given a couple of band calls, they'll be given a dress rehearsal, and then you're into the show. And for that, they'll be paid, usually, quite handsomely, depending on where you're playing. If you're playing in major music centres like London or New York, the the musicians who work in the bands and orchestras there will get paid very well. So that's the main thing. And the reason that everything can come together so fast is because the players can actually not only read music, but sight-read music, and that speeds the whole process up. In my own uh, experience, I released another band album back in 2009. So I was I was funding the whole album, and there wasn't a lot of money to, to really play with, and the musicians that were on it, I could only afford uh, one three-hour rehearsal, and then we recorded the album. Uh, the album's called The Mirror's Image, and you can listen to that down below if you're watching this in GMI um, website, as opposed to uh, from iTunes or, or wherever. And The Mirror's Image sounds, to my ears, an incredible production. The, the, the guys on the album were absolutely fantastic, and yet they only had a three-hour rehearsal and then we're in recording it. So why, what was the difference? The difference was they could all read music. They got the charts, they looked at them, and we really just worked around being able to play and gel as a band in that three-hour rehearsal. And in the actual recording session, I think we would take a, a couple of takes on on each one to <clears throat> just in case. Um and, and it sounds a really great piece of work. So there's another example of how being able to read music and the communication of ideas is really speeded up. If you're in a semi-pro scenario or you're with musicians who don't read, you'll understand when I say that it can be very frustrating trying to get over musical ideas and so the, nobody can read or write music. It's It just takes forever. And you just don't... You want the creative process uh, or the the actual um, the performance of ideas to come around quickly and not be long and drawn out. So it could be you're playing uh, in a church or for a theatre or in numerous scenarios. If you can write and read music and if you can sight read music, you'll find that things flow much better and ideas get... Uh, pulled out quicker and the whole the whole process just goes a whole lot smoother you get a lot more done in, from recording sessions to playing live another area I think is really fantastic if you can read music and if specifically if you can sight read is 
just in the whole area of buying music and seeing how other people do things. Pupils bring music to me and for the most part I can just sight read it through and they can hear right away how it's going to sound. And I find that a very enriching thing in my own life and and you will in your life as well if you actually take the time to learn to both read and then sight read music. So there are just, I think that was three examples of how sight reading and the and reading of music can actually enrich your life as a musician and also benefit you financially if you are looking to work in a more professional arena. Thinking about some of the objections actually to reading music, I can honestly say that in all the professional circles that I've worked in, I've never seen any other guitar, whether it's an orchestra or a pit band or a pop band or anywhere, I've never seen any guitarists work with tab, although the funny thing is that tab, tabulature, where the line, uh, each of the strings on the guitar are represented by a line and the numbers are put on to represent the frets, that's actually very old. I looked this up and, well, it's on Wikipedia, so it must be true, right? <laughs> but, uh, Apparently, the 1300s, so that's the 14th century, tablature was actually started, which is kind of mind-boggling. But the lute, for example, and the early guitar works were all tabbed out. But the reality is, you never, I have never seen tab used. And there's a very good reason for that. Music notation has developed over hundreds of years, and the whole idea, as I said earlier, is that it should be easy to actually read. If you can read music, and if you can sight read, only a lunatic would want to make the score and the parts difficult, because time is money. If people can't easily understand the composition and what's been asked, then time is racked up. If you have an orchestra, you know, 100-odd people, that's a lot of money if... The parts don't make sense. So it's in everyone's interests to make music as simple, straightforward and as complete as possible. And tab just doesn't really cut it. Sometimes you'll see rhythmic notation within tab. A lot of the times you won't. In music notation, you're given a, a completeness in terms of the dynamic of the music and how it should be played at any one point. And you're also there's also... Notation for uh, the speeding up and slowing down of music. And also, it's much easier in terms of the way that crescendos and dynamics and all of these things and the, the overall geography of a piece actually works. I'm going to be giving you a few ideas on reading music and how you can actually speed up the process in a in a second or two. But for me, musical notation is greatly superior to tablature. That being said, I do understand why tab is so prevalent and linked so much. And that is because it's very easy to pick up. You're up and running in no time at all. You can locate notes. But it's 
for the most part, a lot of the time it doesn't give you dynamics and it doesn't give you uh, the actual, crucially, the rhythms needed to get the music right. So now I'd, I would like to go on and talk about how you can read music and how you can maybe speed things up. Some of these ideas I've developed over many years of working with students who are yeah, looking to learn to read and to sight read and also in my own studies so I talked about it earlier sight reading is distinct from reading music but at the beginning you need to be able to read music before you can then go on to sight read the crossover point of that may be indistinct at which point these two things develop but one thing's for sure, you need to know the notes that you play on each fret and you need to know how that relates to music notation. Now the guitar is a tricky instrument actually in some ways to learn to read because there are numerous places on the guitar neck for the same note. So for example if you're a piano player and uh, you were going to play, say, um, a C, a middle C, and there's only one place to play that on the piano. If we take the guitar and look at, say, an E note, now, one thing you should know is the guitar is a transposing instrument. So what, that, what does that mean? That means that an E that is written on a staff of music on the top space actually sounds an octave lower than written. So that's why the guitar is a transposing instrument. If a piano player played the same E or many other instruments played that same E that is in the top space, it would sound an octave higher. So I digress, but that E as written for a guitar player it's found in numerous places. It's the thinnest string open. It's found on the second fret of the. Uh, the it's found on the fifth fret of the second string. It's found on the ninth fret of the third string, and it's found on the fourteenth fret of the fourth string. And it's also found on the nineteenth fret of the fifth string. So. There are five, <clears throat> you can play it on, it depends how big your guitar neck is, if uh, you have 24 frets you would also be able to again play it on the 6th string, but most guitars can't. So that's a real problem for guitarists. It's not that they just have to learn a guitar note in one place. The problem is it can be found in numerous places. So one question that comes up a lot although it doesn't really matter for the beginner because everything that you do in the beginning should be centred, in my opinion, down at the open end of the neck. But for the beginner, they ask questions like, well, where, where would I play this note? I've got so many places I can play this note. And the answer to that is, that, well, there's several reasons why you might not want to play open string. You might want the timbre or the specific sound of the instrument and uh, so you want to play it in a specific place. Or... The more 
usual reason for playing a, a note somewhere else is because the music that's coming later or before was higher up the neck. So if there's a really high note, say, at the if you want to play a C on the 8th fret of the 1st string, and the note that preceded it or comes after it is that E that's found on the top space of the, the, the staff, then you'd probably just play the E on the 3rd string at the ninth fret, as opposed to playing it open. So you can see that that is, that is a consideration and perhaps a problem or certainly a challenge for guitarists. But that would come later because most of the work that you're going to do at the beginning is going to be down at the open end of the neck. That is where the nut is. Generally speaking, guitarists would learn a scale or a, um, a specific scale, say a major scale, and then they would play songs and tunes from that. Now at this point I want to put forward a book that I use and I use with all my students. Uh, I used it when I was uh, a mu mu at music college many years ago. And it's called A Modern Method for Guitar and it's by Berkeley Press and it's by a guitarist, who, the late William Leavitt. And it is a phenomenal book. It, it is in three volumes, and you can now get the book with... Uh, it's, it's full of all different things. Chords, scales, arpeggios, uh, duets, solo pieces. I mean, it really is it's sort of like a Bible for the guitar. And if anyone's looking to take their guitar playing to the next level... That is a book I would absolutely and thoroughly recommend. If you're listening to this on the GMI website, you'll see a link to that book, which is uh, below this podcast. But the um, the Berkeley method is simple. It starts off in C major and then it takes you into other keys. Now, sometimes I've found that students don't seem to get why we learn scales. Scales are not an end unto themselves. We don't learn scales just to learn scales. We learn scales because music and melodies, all melodies are con consist of scales and arpeggios. And knowing a scale and a pattern down at the bottom end of the neck would be good advice. Because playing melodies, you can actually think of that scale pattern and so if you have a piece in C major and all the notes are in the piece are in C major and you know the scale of C major and you know how those notes relate to that notation, then you've got nothing to worry about. All the notes are there. Now, I'm going a little further than that I wanted to because I'm going to come back to this because I just want to quickly talk about a checklist that I teach uh, university students when they're looking at music. If you look at a new piece of music, you should look at the time signature, which tells you how many beats in the bar and, more importantly, the where the stresses fall within each beat. A huge uh, canon of music is written in 4-4. Most popular music seems to never deviate from 4-4. It could be 3-4. It could be 6-8. So, 
you look for the time signature and the key signature. And the key signature is beyond the scope of this podcast, but it basically denotes what key that the piece is in. Now that can change, and does change sometimes, many times, in music. So you should scan the music for any key changes and any time signatures. Having a coloured pencil might be a handy way to just mark where those key and time changes would take place. The next thing you should look at after checking out the tempo is just the geography of the piece. Do you have to repeat bars? Do you have to repeat sections? Is there a first and a second time ending? Is there a coda? Uh, Is there a segna? Now all of these phrases, again, are all really, might sound quite complex, they're not. And you'd have to visually see what I'm talking about. And I may well put actually some figures up on the GMI website for you to see these various things. The the point of all of this is, though, is that with certainly with the Berkeley system and others, you're introduced to all of these elements. The last thing you're going to do is just scan the piece and look for anything that's tricky. Tricky that's going to sort of actually pull you up and uh, potential pitfalls in the music if there's big jumps or leaps or something like that. Now, here is some advice. Southern guitarists don't connect the fact that they're playing a scale and they're looking at a piece of music that is in that key. The scale is in a key, the music is in a key. They look at each and every single note. And this comes back to something that I said at the beginning, which was about flow. You need to train yourself to be able to look through a piece of music. Now imagine a scale. Scale, as as far as I'm aware, comes from the Greek word meaning ladder. If you can draw a diagonal line through a series of notes on a piece of paper, uh, on a musical staff, up or down, and I'm talking about beginner's music here, it is likely that that music is simply going up or down a scale. So you don't need, in effect, to read every single note in that piece of music. What you do need to look for is the point of change. What I mean by that is, let's say you've got a piece of music and it's it's quarter notes, so it's one in every beat. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And it's going simply up a scale. Your eye should be drawn to the point at which the direction of travel changes in the music. So what actually will happen there in the terms of the flow is you will start counting, which is absolutely critical to this whole endeavour. Counting and keeping a tempo. So you would count yourself in. One, two, three, four. And then you'd start playing you probably do it slower than that, by the way, but you start playing up the scale. You don't need to look at every note because you know all the notes are in the scale that you're playing. You're looking at where the point of change is. You're thinking about that whilst counting at the same time. So looking for lines of diagonal lines up or down, I think it's really critical and to understand and connect the scales that you're learning with the music that you're playing. Uh, when we start to play music we invariably see a lot of things we we see patterns 
we visualise patterns and we look for patterns to make sense of things. And that's why this method is, is really quite important. The other thing that you've got to look for is where the music is broken up and invariably this would mean that we're talking about probably an arpeggio. If you don't know what an arpeggio is, it simply a broken chord. So notes of a chord played one at a time. Now that doesn't mean to say that in music we always have to play each and every note in sequence. The, the arpeggio could be broken up any way you like, or it might be a sequence of notes or anything. But the important thing to understand is that those are the areas that are probably going to you know, catch you out. So <clears throat> I guess what to, to sum up the whole idea of starting to read music would be this. The first thing is, to sight, oh, beginning to sight-read music would be this. The first thing is you've got to learn to read music. You've got to know the notes of your instrument on e- each string. You've got to then know what those notes are on the actual fretboard and how they relate to the notation. At the same time, you, would have, you have to learn things like note length. For example, in 4-4, four, four, if a note is hollow with no stem, it gets four beats and it will fill up the entire bar. You can talk to a, your teacher, or if you have a home tutor, or you can even you can find this online. I mean, the resources out there are just now incredible in terms of getting knowledge. It's all there. So the, the first thing is to know the notes and to learn the open string scales, major uh, and relative minor. And then from there, you really want to get a good tutor book and as I said earlier uh, I would recommend the the Berkeley series I think Mike Stern in fact, recently said it was his bible it just is that good now it does have a style to it and uh, is written in a specific way so you wouldn't want to just stick to one book uh, I think you need to look around and get a variety of of content that you can actually work with. But the Berkeley series, even if you only had that, would be a huge and advantageous way of doing things. So that is really all I want to say in this podcast about sight reading. I want to reiterate some of the main points. To summarise, if you can look at a note, if you know a note and you know how it's notated on the on music notation on the staff and you can play that note by looking at it then you can sight read you've got to think of the distinction between sight reading and reading music one uh, sight reading will come from being able to read music only though if you learn to understand the use of flow and how you can quickly scan through music and see how the the notes within the scales are arranged and you learn to do that left to right sort of movement of the head. Counting is vital. Counting yourself in and keeping to a time frame is vital. And most importantly, actually having a lot of material on hand to actually read with a metronome. One final point, you know, learning to read on your own, it can be quite um, sort of monotonous maybe at times or at least it's lonely, work up your skills and then look to see 
to play with other play with other musicians. I mean, I always find it sad when musicians uh, may come for lessons and they're absolutely adamant that they don't want to play with other people because that's how you really learn. That's how you can really take things in and you you learn from other people. You learn about playing. You learn about playing in groups. And you learn by listening to other people. So I would encourage you to actually go and sight read with other people because you'll feed off each other. You'll work off each other and it'll help increase the speed and your reaction time and your ability to see things. I mean, this is something that you've you got to keep in mind. The more you do it, the more you'll keep seeing the same figures coming up. It takes a long time and even today, after all these years... I still find things that I haven't seen before that shrink me up. You see an awful lot of old things that you've seen before. And I guess finally I would say, and I see it in pupils all the time, students at university, single line reading is something that they get together quite fast. That is one, just one note. Chordal reading is a lot harder and takes a lot more effort and determination. However, the way I explain chords to them is that they're, they're kind of like icons. You know, it's it's like looking at a... You know, if, you, if someone put down a card in front of you and it had an orange on it, you would immediately think orange. Uh, or if it had a banana or something like that. And that's kind of like... Reading chords is a little like looking at cards with fruit. Well, not really, but it elicits a response from you. So you see a grouping of chords and it elicits a response, just like that. And that's that takes time to develop. It takes, uh, you know, dedication, I guess. But it's something that if you stick with it and you do it, hopefully on a daily basis, you will see real rewards. You'll you'll start to pick things up faster and you'll be able to connect those those notes more. And then, once you've accomplished that, you can start moving up the fretboard, playing in different positions. So, I hope you've got something out of this. I hope it's been food for thought. And... Uh, that reading music is something that you'll maybe look again at and consider. Not just because it's an enriching thing, which it is, and not just because it gives you a great way to communicate musical ideas to others, and it does, but also can give you other opportunities in terms of work and actually making a living as a musician. And that is something that you really... Need you need as many skills you need many sort of tools in that skill set box as you possibly can, and being able to read and write music is definitely one of them. So all that uh, remains for me to say is thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, this uh, episode. Um, we'll have another episode coming up soon. We have a whole range of material come out, including interviews with really great musicians who have got so much to share. It's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you. I hope you enjoyed it, and I look forward to seeing your feedback and thoughts on any of the podcasts that you've that we've released in GMI. 
please visit the website, check out all the stuff we have, we've got lots of great stuff out there. So, for now, it's all the best. Thanks for listening. From me, Jed Brocky, from GMI, the Guitar Music Institute. Until you hear me again, bye for now. <laughs>